Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hey, hello, and welcome to Politics War Room with James Carville. I'm Al Hunt. This week, we are joined by the CEO of the Union Square Hospitality Group, the famous Danny Meyer. And remember, we take your questions each episode, so write to politicswarroom at gmail.com or send a tweet to at Politicon for next week's show. We'll get to as many as we can, and don't forget to tell us where you're from. Please check out the links to this week's sponsors, Lost Debate and Blinkist, in the show notes. We thank you for supporting the sponsors. It really makes this podcast happen. Please tell your friends about us and remind them to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. James, let me get the bad news out first. Inflation up more than 6%. It's a problem for the country. It's a problem for Democrats politically. The hope only can be that Goldman Sachs is right. This is largely attributable to energy and chain supply problems, and the rate will steadily come down to below 3% a year from now. If it doesn't, it's trouble for everybody. And I would say you can pick up on that. But the good news, there is good news. Congress, since our last show, passed an infrastructure bill that's going to repair roads, bridges, mass transit, rural broadband, and climate. Joe Biden deserves a lot of credit. But I'll tell you, Nancy Pelosi again showed why she is a legendary speaker, maybe the best. Just let me give you just two anecdotes, James, which you know. She only had a three-vote margin, and sometimes it looked like the chasm between the more moderates and the progressives was just too large to pull it off. She navigated that brilliantly. She only lost six Democrats. Two anecdotes. One, when they decided to go ahead with this, fr- this infrastructure bill and the framework for the other one, it was going to upset the liberals. So what she did, she sent out a member of the Black Caucus, Congressman Joyce Beatty, to announce exactly what was happening. The second thing she did was the Congressional Caucus, Progressive Caucus, was meeting, and then no cell phones allowed. They had to leave them outside the room. She called every one of those cell phones while they were in that meeting. When they got out, the first message they got is, Hi, this is Speaker Nancy Pelosi. I really want you to vote for this infrastructure bill. James, she is one of the greatest indoor politicians of all time. I I describe myself as a Nancy Pelosi, Randall Kennedy Democrat. And if you just read our friend Tom Etzel today, you'll see why I I put Randy Randall Kennedy in in, in that formulation. But I want to go, first of all, talk a little bit about inflation. Well, the the bond market went up some, not anything over alarming today. So they're not. Goldman Sachs, the, the Secretary of Treasury, is not particularly alarmed by it. The chairman of the Federal Reserve Board is not particularly alarmed by it. But, of course, it has to be the headline. All right? Not, not that the poverty rate in this country, since Joe Biden has been president, has gone down from like 12% to 7%. Or not that workers have more leverage in a better status than they ever had before. Not anything. We have to always obsess, and I understand that. It's not you. I look at the Times. I look at Drudge. I look at all of that, and there's this sort of, and I have no idea. I do know this. Since 1990s, or more specifically, in this century, because the 90s were pretty good for people, in this century, it's been characterized by one thing, low inflation and low wages. 
So if, if, if we have somewhat higher, I don't want exhaustive inflation, but if we have wage increases, if we have decreases in the poverty rate, we have increases in workers' leverage, why the fuck are we obsess- obsessing on inflation? And I, that, that, that's my o- o- overall view. And what they did, what, what Speaker Pelosi did on, on this legislation is remarkable. And by the way, when you look at it, I just keep reading and there's more good stuff in here than, than you can imagine. But let me just say this. The, the one thing we know is, is we can have all of this good news, and most smart people are not overly concerned about this. We've got to wait and see. We don't know for sure. But I, I, I think there's way, way more good news out there than bad news. I don't disagree, but let me tell you why I think the inflation story is important, and I hope it's ephemeral, is that over year to year, we have had wage growth, but it has not kept up with inflation. And as long as that's the case, it's a problem. We want robust, wa- robust wage growth, but we want it to, to exceed inflation. So that's why it's a problem, hopefully just a temporary one. But, you know, I worry about that. I, I, I don't know, but most people who I have respect for their opinions, Janet Yellen, Jay Powell, Goldman Sachs, the the wisdom of the bond market, most importantly, Roger Altman, everyone that I know and respect says, eh, you know, it could be, but I'm not so sure. But let's put it this way, wherever it is, the media is going to run toward the worst possible freaking outcome that they can come to. But well, those are those are three certainly uh, incredibly right. uh, knowledgeable and smart right. sources. So right. I, I'm, I, I am with you. I would tend to. Right. I, I hope they're right. I, I, I would they, tend they, to they could, they, they they could be wrong. But add Paul Krugman in it, who, by the way, I, I was yeah. so delighted when I read today, and he said the Democrats need to get out and sell. Of course, we need to get out and sell, and we need to sell and sell hard, and tell people what's going on in their lives, and and, and you know let. The Times and Drudge and Fox and all of that dwell on the bad news. There's good news out there. Good news. Well, there's a lot of good news out there. And again, just to go back to Pelosi for a second, you know, Mark Shields, who is oh, a, uh, you know, one of the greatest astute observers in American yeah, political absolutely. history, a proud son of Boston. He called Nancy Pelosi the greatest speaker uh, of our lifetimes. He was a huge admirer of Tip O'Neill, also a great speaker, but even some Bostonians who were always highest in their own, acknowledged that he was right about Pelosi. That's how good she is. And one thing about that bill, though, it was a lot of good news. And, and I'm, I'm sorry for being, being, as they say, a nattering nabob of negativism. I cannot for the life of me understand why six members, Democrats, members of the squad, voted against a bill that would create high-paying union jobs, repair roads and bridges in their district, uh, extend rural broadband, uh, it just it escapes me. I have no idea what they were thinking. It was a senseless vote. I, I, I know exactly what they're thinking. They don't care about winning elections, all right? They care about purity, social media presence, and online fundraising, all right? But you got to understand, yep. you're not dealing with what I've come to the conclusion, it took me a while to hit it, but it's like getting hit over the head with a two-by-four. They don't want to win. They have no interest in winning elections. And by the way, the only people that they ever run against are the Democrats. 
So the country is, in my opinion, the, the idea of American pluralism, of, of American progress, of American democracy, of everything that we hold dear in this country is under savage and, and I might say effective assault. They're blaming liberals. These people make no sense at all. And then they say, well, it's because I'm too old. Okay, so ageism is the acceptable prejudice of, you know, left-wing America, which I don't, I don't buy at all. But it, it, well, we're going to we'll get into a bunch of that. I'm not worried about that. We got some great listener right. questions. But, but here I, I, up all I'm saying segment. is, that, but th- these six people are not into winning. That they're, they're right. into. I don't know, videos or something, whatever they into. <laughs> well, you're right, though. There was a lot more good oh, news God, than bad news uh, if you're a Democrat over the last six or seven days. Uh, all hail uh, oh, Nancy, God, yes. uh, Nancy Pelosi. We'll come back with more good news next week, too, James. Hey, James, you know, we see in every election, our country is more politically divided than ever. We talk about it all the time. You probably feel forced to pick a side when you turn on the news, even if it doesn't represent necessarily what you believe in. That's why you should check out the Lost Debate podcast and YouTube show, where they know people don't fit neatly into two groups and believe that media should reflect that. The Lost Debate is hosted by Ravi Gupta, a former campaign staffer for Obama who's also fought alongside Republicans on charter schools, and Corey Bradford, a progressive political organizer turned TikTok star who once hosted a Fox News radio show. On the lost debate, they're calling out both the right and left, a.k.a. the conspiracy-obsessed authoritarian personality cult, and the sanctimonious group of wannabe postmodern sociology professors. James, you might know (laughs) something about that. Goddamn, the only thing I am, why didn't we think of this? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm kind of jealous of these guys. This idea is so good. I, I can't wait to listen to it. And I, I, I do think that what you set up is true, but I, I be careful because they're not the equivalent. That's true. Right? That, 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 that's all. It, it is, all I'd say is, is that I think our extreme people are naive and don't have a particularly deep view of what the world really is. Theirs are just out of their minds. Dangerous. Right? Just, just you know, dang, dangerous. Vile. And, they yes. Can, yeah, yes. Right. right. I, I, some of this stuff is, is kind of well-meaning and, you know, is it, to right. get your social media present enhanced. But it's not abjectly evil or, or, or criminal, which these sedationists were. So right. I, I, these guys, I, the, only, the only thing I'm pissed off about is you thought about it and I didn't. You know, the lost debate is for anyone who's lost trust in our polarizing partisan world. It looks at the relevant facts to go beyond the cultural war happening between progressives and conservatives. It shares news, ideas, and trends that are being overlooked. It also brings people together to emphasize with and challenge each other in good faith. So join the conversation. Subscribe to the lost debate today. New episodes drop twice a week. Just search for the lost debate on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcast. Hey, James, our guest is Danny Meyer, the iconic restaurateur, author, and philanthropist, an innovator. He elevated wages and eliminated tips, shut down his restaurants when COVID initially hit, 
And as I know from my former colleague, Share Our Strengths, Christy Felling, who was an original on this podcast, there is no more passionate anti-hunger activist than Danny Meyer. We're so delighted you could join us. Let me just start off by talking about your industry, which has been racked by this pandemic. Uh, as much as a quarter, uh, a billion dollars in lost revenues, millions of jobs. This summer, it looked like it was all coming back. Does it still look that way? Or are you worried about a resurgence this winter? This summer, early this summer, it was like the biggest kind of renaissance our industry had ever seen. And then all of a sudden, I, I want to say it was probably late July or early August, we started hearing all these terms we had never heard before, like Delta variant and breakthrough cases. And, and then all of a sudden, it went crashing down again. We thankfully never got back to the point where we were exa exactly a year ago today. We had to shut all of our restaurants for the second time. So... November 10th, 2020, 2021, wow. no, 2020. Yeah, we had to close them all again. So we never had to go backwards, but, but we just, you know, it was, it was a big, big stop. And I think the biggest thing for people to understand is that tourism is coming back right now. Domestic tourism has been building month after month ever since the booster shots came out. International travel just came back this week for the first time, which is great. And the next thing I think is getting people to go back to the, to offices because without that you don't have a lot of lunch business in the city. Right, right. D does this whole thing um, over the long run does it change your business model any? Does it change your growth strategy, attracting uh, the ways to attract talent, uh, wage pressures? Are there? I mean, are there any fundamental changes where it'll be sure different there are. than it was? Sure, there are. absolutely. And I think that. You know, nobody likes from a political standpoint to talk about, or politicians certainly don't like to talk about raising the minimum wage, but the marketplace is doing that for us. And I think that's a good thing. I think that for a long time, our industry has been amazing at, at uh, educating the public to pay up for vegetables that were grown better and animals that were raised more humanely. And we've done a really lousy job about educating people, you got to pay for people because this whole industry cannot grow and thrive and sustain itself unless it becomes really considered not just to be the world's greatest first employer, which we are, but it needs to be known as the world's best place to have a pathway forward. And we can do that. Is it harder, Danny, in this environment to attract, uh, uh, to attract employees? I mean, the good news is wages are going up. Uh, and does that make it uh, tougher and more challenging for you? Ab absolutely. But I, I want to point, you know, our team has been amazing. L let me give you a statistics, a statistic that may blow your mind. At the, um, the week before we shut our restaurants in March of 2020, Union Square Hospitality Group had 2,400 employees. All right. One month later, we were down to 45, 45 people here. And, you know, we grew a little bit, grew a little bit more then we went backwards. Well, here's the good news. In the last three months alone, we have hired in this company 1,500 new employees. Now, you can't tell me that no one wants to work. 1,500 employees. So we're, we're you know, we're approaching. I'm going to bet by... If we keep up the good health that this city has enjoyed, we should be back at full employment in our company by, by spring or so. So people are coming back. It's been a little bit slower than we hoped for a whole lot of reasons, and you've probably read about all 15 of them. But one by one, you know, the, the floodgates are starting to open. 
That's great. So, so James. Dan Epp, I know you, and of course I know Richard. And y'all been kind of on the vanguard of, you know, being very pro-employer. In fact, you were one of the first people to eliminate tipping at Union Square, right? So, and, and, and I understand, although you're the founder of Shake Shack, which is everywhere in America, you the New Orleans airport, everywhere that you go, but but you have had a lot of experience with hiring skilled uh, workers, not just kitchen workers, waiters, and everything else. What advice would you give to the Targets and the Walmarts and, and, and these uh, McDonald's, Burger King? It, it, they're all competing for workers. I have a place in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi. They are offering $500 sign-in bonuses, which I think is a good thing. But it, in the sort of work worker-to-employer relationship in hospitality and food. What, 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 what advice would you have to Well, I'm not big on giving other people advice, but I'll tell you what we're doing. Right. And that is a little bit of the opposite of what you're saying. The only time we're paying hiring bonuses is for someone on our staff who refers somebody else okay. when that person sticks. You're not going to get them on day one. But if you bring someone into our company and they stick, we're going to give you a nice bonus. And I forget if it's six months after or whatever. But the big thing I'd rather focus on than paying you to work here is making it stickier for you to leave. You wrote, once wrote a book that I loved called Stickin'. Do you remember I that do one, remember James? It, absolutely. And it, <laughs> it's, all about, it's all about loyalty. And, and you know, what, what we're doing in our company is to say, look, there's a whole lot of people shopping around. You know, they, they had a year and a half off. They call it the great, great resignation. It, it, I don't call it the great resignation. I think it was a year where the entire country had to hit pause, especially for jobs that you could only do in person. So the jobs that you can do on Zoom, they're fine. But when you think about people who wash dishes and wait tables and pour wine and, you know, drive trucks and deliver food to restaurants, those are the people who had a whole year and a half to decide, is this what I want to do with my life? And so it's not just do I want to come back, but I, once we get you back, I want to make sure you wouldn't do anything other than stay here. And, and here we have one goal. And, and I'll, I'll be glad to pay more for the people who are now working here and to find a better work environment. We've learned the biggest reason people leave is they're leaving their boss. They're not necessarily just leaving the industry. So I guess it's kind of a long way of saying uh, the advice I give us is make it a better place to work. And if we're lucky, I'll tell you what happens. If you stay here a little longer than you thought you were going to stay here, then we won. Because you're not going to, very few people are going to die in their job. So we're at a time, you know, we're, I grew up at a time when everybody had one career, and that's the thing they did forever, one company, one career. Today, it's not only not one company, but it's many, many different industries for a lot of people. And so all I really want to do is create the kind of environment where you go, you know what? I never thought I was going to stay here that long. This has been great. And then, then go leave and, and go, go sow our seeds and be an ambassador, and maybe we'll get someone great that you referred us to. So. It, one of the things, of course, I 
I, I think the Biden administration ought to bring you to Washington and put you in charge of promoting. I don't think we sell near enough, right? Everybody wants to be in policy. No one wants to be in sales. You know, I've, I've been watching Ron Popeil videos. I think he's one of the great Americans that ever lived. Man, that guy was in sales, okay? He sold stuff. But but you, you've had a, a long arc in, in the industry and in dealing with employees and stuff. And have you ever seen, and not just within the Union Square Hospitality Group, by the way, can, is David Carr's widow still working for you? Cause no, Jill Rooney Carr's awesome. In fact, I was just talking about her yesterday with our international Shake Shack partners because she was uh, she went over to Shake Shack. She was uh, awesome. I've got to keep right, up. Okay, I, I, I got, I, I got distracted problem. mid-thought here, but I, I, I do that. So, but have you ever seen... A time in your in your thing, and just overall, not not specifically the Union Square Hospitality Group, where workers have a more advantageous position than they have right now. Well, I guess I don't like that expression, James, because if someone's advantaged, okay, if someone's right. disadvantaged, the, the and I, I, I look, I, I think workers should always have had a good voice, and I don't think it. I, I, I don't think you can be a great employer if, if people don't love coming to work. We should be one of the tribes of your life. You got your family, you know, maybe your religion, your, your favorite, like for you, it's LSU. And, um, you know, we have all these tribes, but I think where you work should be one of your greatest tribes. And that's not about advantage or disadvantage. I was having a, a conversation with my colleague Jenny today, and we were talking about the swag, the swag theory, which is that... You can tell a great culture anywhere, whether it's a place you work, you know, or a school you went to or a club you belong to, an affiliation, based on people's interest in wearing the swag. Absolutely. And um, that's not about advantage or disadvantage. It's like workers should have a good voice. They should have a good voice. And, and their boss should be good listeners to that because workers are our first customer. Yeah, we always put our we we put our paying customers second because they're never going to have a better time eating with us than the people are having working for us. There's just no way we can fake it once or twice, but you're going to pick up well, if our if our team's not. Let me go turn it over now. Just want to make a point. I've I've dined, I don't know, fifty, a hundred times at Danny's establishments, and boy, does he practice what he preaches. When you walk into that place, you're greeted, you're looked in the eye. You're sat down, you know, you have a, a, a real, feel like you have a, a, a real equal relationship with the person that's serving you. And I. A couple fingers. Yes, absolutely. And boy, you know, it's just, it's just for anybody that's been to any of your establishments, you, you really instill that. But Al, I'm going to turn it over to you and we'll come back to me again. Well, I, I haven't been there 50 times, Danny, but I'll say amen to everything James uh, James just said. Let me let me turn to your philanthropic efforts, especially combating hunger. I, the, the last report I saw, 38 million people in this rich country, country were food deprived last year. 12 million children. That's just unacceptable. That's just awful. What are we, you know, are we making any progress? What should we be doing? I think we're making progress. And I think that, um, you know, we were talking about Christy from Share Our Strength. I think one of the things mm -hmm. Share Our Strength did, which was so smart, this was, and by the way, I remember when James and Mary came to speak at a, a big dinner we had that raised a lot of money for Share Our Strength many years ago at Gramercy Tavern. But I think what Share Strength did was they pivoted and created a new program called No Kid Hungry. And the thinking right. was that 
you can you can look at hunger as the root cause of poverty in this country, and then you can look at poverty as the root cause of so many other things that we end up spending a huge, huge amount of time trying to solve poorly as a society. But it all starts with with zero to three children. And and I think that what No Kid Hungry has done a fantastic job is to to actually activate pre-existing programs. Uh, breakfast in the schools, for example. And I know in New Orleans, there's been great, great work that's been done there, um, started by Mayor Landrew when he, when he was in office and continuing on right now. Virginia's done a fantastic job. I hope they continue that. Um, so I think breakfast in the school, uh, mobile breakfasts that are brought to um, to communities uh, during the summer when kids are not in school. And um, we've just learned so much more about getting hunger at the, at the root cause of it. And that's children. It's totally children because they don't have a voice. They don't have a lobby in Congress. Mm-hmm. And um, the problem, the problem remains, unfortunately, in this country that people don't see hunger. You know, if, if it's not affecting your family, you don't see it and you assume it's someone else's problem and you don't fully appreciate what that then leads to in terms of the inability to learn, dropping out of school, perhaps getting into trouble and on it, you know, it becomes a vicious cycle. So it's truly, I think, the linchpin thing that if people, I mean, they knew that in France many years ago that a well-fed army tends yes. to prevail. Well, how about a well-fed populace tends to be a good citizen citizenry. James, we need your help because you, you understand all this stuff and you've been talking about how to, you know, play to the middle and stop playing to the edges for so long. There's no one who would say, I want my neighbor to be hungry. Well, one, one, one thing that is coming up before the Congress, there's a big bill that would deal with uh, universal pre-K, uh, make it easier for women to work. Um, will that help? Absolutely. I think mothers are a huge part of the equation. And um, yeah, because without childcare, something's got to give. That means if if there's not either the um, tax credit for children and or the opportunity to provide some kind of childcare, then there's always going to be a trade-off where the economics of that family are not going to be maximized. And guess what? You're always going to have to pay the rent because you don't want to be on the street. So the first thing that goes is the food. And then, yeah. and then the next thing is you buy the cheapest food, which is often all this processed stuff. And then you got all kinds of other issues in our societies. Um, so I don't know. I feel like there's, there's a lot of people who are doing amazing work, not just share our strength. But uh, I hope you guys will have Billy Shore on your show sometime because – he can speak to this as as well as anyone I've ever that's met a, in my life. That's a fabulous that's idea. He's been a hero of mine for, for years. One final minute, I'll turn it over to James. Um, President Biden talks a lot about, you know, we got to have jobs for people who don't have college education, that that's the real task. What, what are you doing and what should be done to create a, a sustainable career path for those people who aren't, aren't fortunate enough to be college educated? Um, I'll I'll go back again, which is um, I don't want to tell anyone else what they should do, but I'll tell you what we are doing. And and I'm really, really proud of our team here. One of the things that I think we gave a lot of thought to uh, during the 
during the almost full year where we couldn't be in business anywhere because it was deemed to be unsafe to, to eat in restaurants, we spent a lot of time saying, instead of complaining about a worker shortage, that, that would be like a fisherman saying, this pond isn't giving me any fish anymore. They'd be stupid not to go find another pond or lake somewhere. And we realized we weren't looking in enough different places for people. And, um, and, and, I, and I think one of the things we're most proud about right now is, is saying we need to have a much more diverse workforce than we've ever had. We found that something like 60% of the uh, people working in our dining rooms were white. And, and you know, we had nobody who, um, we did, I shouldn't say nobody, but we had very few people who had disabilities of any type. We had no one in our restaurants practically uh, who perhaps had served uh, in a, some correctional facility over time. And we're just looking in a lot of different places because if you have a heart for hospitality and you've got a work ethic, you should be on this team. And so I, I, I'm just, again, focusing on what we're trying to do is to look way beyond the, the typical places we've looked. We're out um, recruiting in a whole lot of different kind of places than we've ever recruited before. And you'd be surprised at, at how much good you can do um, for your team. The teams are better when they're more diverse. James. I'll so I, I, I just comment on something you said that I so disagree with, yeah, so agree with, and that is we've got <laughs> to get this daycare. We've got to have federally subsidized daycare because we are going to unleash women in the workforce. If you ask a mother to choose between a job and a child, they're inevitably going to choose a child. And even those that choose a job are worried about their kids. Let's subsidize. Let's give daycare. Let's have these these mothers out in the workforce. Let's have them paying Social Security taxes. Have them paying Medicare tax. Let's give these kids a nutritional foundation that they need, the education, learning. And we know this stuff pays for itself. It, it, it pays for itself over and over and over again. It's been proven beyond a doubt. So from the top of the highest mountain that you can yell – we need more daycare, you know? Right, and James, James, uh, you know I, I agree with that um, wholeheartedly. And that brings me back to your Ron Popeil comment, which is um, if you say daycare, there's a huge part of this population that shouts socialism. If you start to talk about investment, Right. If, if you just think about the ounce of prevention that happens when you make that investment, you say you could pay me now or you could pay me later. If you pay me later, if you think about what it what it costs to, you know, correct someone who doesn't succeed in society. I don't care whether they went to college or community school or vocational school. If, if we have to correct something after the fact, it's going to cost five times as much as the thing you're telling me is socialism today. So call it what you want, but I call it a, a smart investment in who you want to be. You want to win? Get them while they're young. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree. So I, I, I have to ask you this. I know the kind of house that you and Audrey, Brian, and the holidays are coming up and, you know, tell us how people be curious about the bars and how do y'all do Thanksgiving and maybe you might have a tip or two for, for 
those of us who are going to be celebrating as to some little maybe shortcuts of things that you enjoyed, maybe you could throw in a good like $30 bottle of wine that you could put on the table. Or if you go to somebody's house, I, I, I know you've never showed up anybody's house without bringing a little gift with you. And just give us a couple of recommendations <laughs> on that. <laughs> uh, okay. So, um, I'm going to be consistent. Here's the advice I give Danny Meyer. Okay. <laughs> well, we we're we all ears. <laughs> so we're going to have about 22 people at our Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. and I'm sure that's nothing compared. To, I've, I've heard all about your famous Thanksgivings. <laughs> um, but but here's the thing. The night before Thanksgiving, this is not a food tip. This is a okay, family good. tip. We love those. You're gonna get you're gonna get the best Danny you've ever had in your life because I want to make sure everyone is in a good mood that next day. Because if 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 you come to my house, if those 22 people come to my house, they will feel stress if our family has not been unified and harmonious and feeling good. So it has it has almost. I mean, now how does this translate to food? Yeah, there's a lot of people to cook for. Every almost everything in Thanksgiving can be done ahead of time. You can't roast the turkey ahead of time in the day before, but you can brine it. You can get everything else done. The stuffing is actually better if you did it the day before. The Brussels sprouts, all the mashed potatoes, you can get all that stuff done. It's when people feel stress because no one was getting along, that's the worst thing. And guess what? Let's get to the wine right now. It doesn't hurt to actually start Thanksgiving Day maybe feeling a little fuzzy from too much wine the night before because that means everyone had a good time the night before and you don't even have energy to be stressed the next day. James still recovering from last yeah, week. Somebody once asked me, he says, can you have a drink and take an Ambien? I said, I have no idea if you can have four drinks and take an Ambien. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you, you're so right that, that people – feel stress when they walk into a room. Oh, my God. You, it, you know what? It's like someone said, stress is like the wind. You can't see it, but you sure Yo. can feel it. And I swear to God, you walk in, walk into one of our restaurants. Huh. My, my whole goal is that you feel that calm when you walk in. It, you want to feel a happy buzz, but you've walked into restaurants, and you can just tell when the human energy is not good. And it all starts with how the staff is treating each other. Well, well, we've had a lot of stress here in the last couple of years. Albert, there's plenty too much stress. No, I just want to say you have been you you've been everything that we hope for. Plus, a- ask him um, about uh, the Cardinals next year. That's all. He's a St. Louis yeah, boy. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, well, yeah. Well, and why they fired the manager? <laughs> well, because after after they won 17 games in a row they couldn't imagine how they possibly could have lost that one game in the wild card yeah why not 18 right (laughs) that's right anyway danny meyer we can't thank you enough uh, for everything you do and for being a great guest we really are appreciative it's been a wonderful conversation Well, thank you al and james um god bless you say say hi to mary and your family give gretchen a hug happy thanksgiving all right thanks bye-bye All right, James, now for our listener questions. And boy, first of all, they were terrific this week, and we got dozens. I mean, literally literally dozens. And a whole lot of them uh, revolved around you and comments that you made on the PBS NewsHour. I forget the name of that anchor you were talking to last week. Uh, But it was some great journalist, I know that. But it was about uh, whether the woke um, 
uh, stuff cost the Democrats in the November election. So let me just read. Uh, I'm going to read sure, a bunch of them and then Absolutely. give you lots Absolutely. of time to respond because they, they really are good. The first one is from Stephen. And guess where he's from? A place called Baton Rouge, Louisiana. <laughs> Stephen says Democrats campaigned a little bit more than COVID relief, and if progressives had caved on the bill, Manchin and Cinema would have gutted it beyond recognition. For 2022, it would have looked even worse. How can we blame for blame them for that? So, you know, from your hometown, you he's a little bit upset. Bianca in San Diego, oh, California, God. says Twitter Dems seem to think Virginia was lost because the candidate was too moderate. I wholeheartedly disagree. She's on your side. Right. Will Democrats ever consider embracing charter school, school choice platform Yunkin ran on? Well, I hope not. But it seems to me that there's an opportunity in Biden's BBB human infrastructure. Let's get another name for it. To make inroads with independents and soft Republicans. If Democrats could roll out, this is what you were saying earlier, their universal pre-K as a voucher program. I don't want it as a voucher program, but I like it. Then we have uh, John O. In Santa Cruz, California. I'm putting these together, okay. James, because they're so good. 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 James, James, I have followed you, John O says, since reading We're Right, They're Wrong in the 90s. But John O's upset. Your constant harping on wokeism leaves me cold and rather bothered. Language has meaning. Why else do we condemn the veiled racism of the right found in their dog whistles to white supremacy? And if the woke academics thoroughly uncover how language biases shape political thought and action, all the more power to them. So how do we manage the difficulty of a politically damaging phrase from the actual positive impact that careful attention to language delivers to society? Those are good questions, James. They're very good questions. And, and you know, I want to I start by if I go to specifically my critique, and, and I don't know if wokeism is the right word, but it's the word that everybody used, President Obama used, has been used multiple times. I, what I would call it is an excessive obsession with identity, but you can have your own definition, all right? We're losing elections. And, and by the way, we may lose America, all right? We, other than Biden, who won by 40, 42,000 votes, could have beat him, we lost House seats. We lost Senate seats we shouldn't have lost. We lost governorships. We lost in Long Island. We lost in Buffalo. We lost in Minneapolis. We lost in Seattle. We lost on the land. We lost on the sea. We lost in the plains. We lost in the mountains. We lost in the valleys. All right? We're losing. So what am I supposed to do? Just sit here and, all right? And I think the idea of American pluralism, of American progress, of American rule of laws are under serious assault, and it is not a given that we're going to win. Already in Virginia, there's talk about Glenn Yuck and, and the Republican legislature cutting back on voting rights. The two things that I specifically said were an example of this, you can call it wokeism, you can call it what you want, is defund the police, which, by the way, lost the black vote in Minneapolis. All right? This is lunacy. It is a sticky thing. So the second thing I pointed out is taking Abraham Lincoln's name off of buildings. That's even more. As you know, you were at my daughter's wedding. Officiant was Mitch Landrew, who courageously took down the Confederate statues in New Orleans. I'm proud to say my daughter and my son-in-law both worked for him and played some minor role in that, something to which my family will be internally great, grateful for. But when you're engaging... It, 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 this kind of language, and you're not addressing fundamental things. And by the way, for the most part, these people run against Democrats. They don't run against Republicans, right? Understand that. They think that the corruption of the party or liberals like myself 
who are insufficiently leftist, where the real threat to the country are these insurrectionists, these seditionists, these right-wing people that are telling people not to get vaccinated, these right-wing people that are spewing this hate, and they are winning more elections than they should be, and I'm not goddamn happy about it, and I'm not going to be happy about it, and they can attack me till they blue in the face. But I, 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 and they can say, well, James, winning, is it? that's such a, 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 a nightish thing. That's a boomer thing. What we need to do is lose with purity and pride. Well, I don't buy that. I don't buy that for one minute. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad that these, these viewers, and I'm, I'm doing uh, about more than willing to talk about what I said, but I, I, I think what I said was spot on. I do too, and I think uh, I think those critics sometimes uh, uh, dishonestly equate you with the critics coming from the other side. I mean, you are for affirmative action, you are for racial justice, you're for voting rights. It's just bullshit to say that this is some kind of an attack. But I think you you have you have delineated the issue uh, very well there. So I hope some of those people at least will re- reconsider. Well, I, I think I'm going to be on Don Lennon's show tonight, who's a guy who most people well, I, I, I like Don a lot, and I don't mind saying what I think, and I think we're losing too many goddamn elections that have too many big consequences, and I'm sorry, but what do you expect me to say? It's all fine? I agree. James, we have the next series of questions. As I say, there's so many good ones this week. Uh, are uh, come on on the same issue, and and I'm going to again read them. It's Mark in Vinton, Iowa, who says, "Why is extreme rhetoric on the left, like defund the police, so damaging to Democrats and the general public, when the extreme language on the right, like Second Amendment solutions and insurrection, seems to get Republicans elected?" Similar question came from uh, David in Printers Row, Chicago, Illinois, and from Jacob from Baton Rouge. Boy, we're in a Baton Rouge roll today. It is. And Robert in San Francisco said, regarding critical race theory, defund the police and everything else woke that James is an anvil around the Democratic Party. I want to know why Democrats have been created similar anvils for Republicans. James, one of the things that is most, to me, frustrating and inexplicable is the Democrats get tarred with their fringe. They get tarred with defund the police. Take Lincoln's name. The Republican right, the Republican fringe is so much bigger, so much deeper, so much more insidious, so much more dangerous, and somehow, somehow, they escape blame. Uh, I, I think the questions are really good. I wish I had a better answer, because it really is inexplicable. Well, well first of all, I, I, I've tried to figure out what critical race theory is. Based on my original thing is that I, I think part of it starts with the fact that de facto uh, segregation survives the end of the jury segregation. It means that, that you can pass a law, but you, you don't stop discrimination, which I, I, I agree with, but I, I, I don't know if I've ever really said much about it because I, I'm, but then I agree with Tucker Carlson so much, but he said he doesn't understand it, and I, I, neither do I, and I think it was a concept for you know, seniors in, in Ivy League law schools that take it as an elective, and there's a good reason for that because people of, of my intellectual ability still can't quite understand what they're trying to say. I, but but at any rate, I, I, I think the whole thing is made up. I, the, the problem is you're exactly right, but all we do is, is they have a, a media infrastructure. 
right? Fox, Newsmax. It, it, That's every, true. And yep. everything that every Democrat does is bad, and everything that every extreme right wing does is good. So we have an infrastructure, and, and it's ourselves, and it's this, I don't know, I hate to use the term mainstream media, but media outlets, who have an inherent bias against incumbents, all right? So that is part of it. The other thing is our leftists are more creative than, than their racists. I mean, defund the police is a sticky saying. I mean, that's a pretty cre- – it's too creative, right? I don't know who thought yeah. of the idea to take Abraham Lincoln's name off of schools in San Francisco, but it's really headline-grabbing. I got to tell you, it's, it's like colossally it headline-grabbing, and people remember that. It is. Uh, their stuff is like totally nuts, but – you know, we we obsess on things that don't. I, I agree. It's unfair. I think that our fringe is more naive. I don't think they're evil at all. I, I, I think they're... And there and there's, there's this. Yes. It, there's a difference there's, between... And it's much and I, have, I have constantly pointed that out. But, yes, and these questions are just so damn good and, and go right to the heart of, of everything. But... They sure do. Here, here, James, let me tell you something. They're, they're, they're going to keep yeah. coming. Here's one directly to you. Jill in Fresno, California. I love this question. She's a history professor. But, James, don't worry taking the question because there's no faculty lounge where she teaches. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway. She's concerned that Democratic leaders are not giving President Biden the credit he deserves and low poll, low poll numbers are a result. Unlike clear messaging, the Democrats appreciate and respect Biden. Thoughts? Well, can I come to Fresno and, like, kiss you? Or, or, I guess we can't do that anymore. Can I just hug you? All right? You're, yeah. you're so— And you won't be in the faculty you're lounge. You're so exactly <laughs> right. It, it, what this is, is Democrats, for some reason, like, don't want to sell. My attitude is sell, sell, sell. If you, you go through this year, we started this year with the worst president in American history. I think Biden is a damn good president. I don't know if he's— Abraham Lincoln, I'm not, whatever. But we started this with the longest war in American history. We're not fighting it. The poverty rate has gone down substantially during the, during the Biden presidency. We have a global corporate income tax that's in the making, stuff that people never thought was remotely possible. We've got $1.9 trillion in needed relief for COVID. We've got a trillion-dollar infrastructure bill. we got a bill that's the first time we've had any victory at all against big pharma. I could go on and on and on, right? But you are exactly right. And what we need is less chin scratches, less, on the other hand, people, and more people getting out there and telling people what the hell's going on. And a lot of things that are going on in this country right now are pretty damn good. Three cheers for Professor Absolutely. Jill in Fresno, I, I California. Love you. I've been to Fresno. Every time I go there, I get fogged down. They get a lot of fog down in, in the Central well, Valley. They don't, they don't have fog from that no, history, no, Professor. No, no. James not fog at all. I love you. I love you. James, James going to hug you yeah, when if he I gets get there. Hey, Perry in London, Ontario. Yeah. It's a good question. It says, with regards to electoral and integrity why is there so much you know resistance to having federal administration of some of the elections some of the voting rights bill in canada we have that uh you know all all over you know wouldn't it be better system to implement that south of the border well let me tell you perry basically the constitution 
gives Congress the right to set the rules for electing members of Congress. This Republican notion, they're federalizing. What are the rules for how old you have to be to run for the House or Senate? They're set by, 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 by the Constitution. What are the rules for campaign finance in federal elections in North Carolina and Georgia and Texas? Not set by those legislatures. They're set by the federal government, and the Voting Rights Act would just be a continuation and an improvement upon that. So the argument that we're federalizing elections is bunk. Yeah, I, you're right. There, there, there's an explicit grant in the Constitution. And I, I wish I could. I had Fred Wertheimer here, Walter Dellinger, to tell you the, the exact uh, article thing. But that Congress right, shall it, set. It's, right. it's, it, it is clear as a bell. It, if you are part of a political party and you lost a popular vote in seven out of the last eight presidential elections, you wouldn't be very excited about voting rights. If in spite of the fact that you've lost a popular vote in seven out of eight elections, you have a 6-3 majority on the Supreme Court, you're not excited about voting rights. This is a raw, raw political grab, and I'm going to tell you what started it all. You know this. You know exactly what I'm going to say. It's Bush v. Gore and the acquiescence that everybody went along to that. That told them... You can do whatever the shit you want to. No one's going to do anything. Let me give you another example. They passed this horrendous Texas abortion statute, right? And everybody said, oh, there's going to be a massive reaction to it. Find me one commentator that said that that statute had anything to do with the election returns last week. Of course, you're not going to find any. And by the way, you know who read those election returns? Kavanaugh. Barrett, Gorsuch, Roberts, all right? They're like, these people don't give a shit. All they do is run their mouth and attack each other. And we do whatever we want. We passed, we decided Bush v. Gore. They didn't do shit. We did this. They didn't do shit. They're a bunch of, you know, disorganized loonies in a circular firing squad. And I can't believe them for thinking that. I'm not sure if I was not one of them. I'd have the same thought. They don't. They don't, they, they, well, by the way, let, let's talk about more good news, the vaccine distribution, the therapeutics, the you name it. But, boy, we live in a, a, a 30, a 60, 70% wrong track country, so we obsessed with that. And the reason that it's, that it's there is we're not selling shit, nothing. We couldn't, we couldn't sell, never mind, I won't go into that. Don't go I'm there. Don't going. go there. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to go, but I'm not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I got no, scared for a minute there. there. I'm not going there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, I'm going to combine these two because they're both good, and they kind of go to the same point. John in, in Texas says, given Beto O'Rourke's comment, I'm coming for your AR-15s, can he really be a viable candidate for governor? And I, I think a similar question in North Hempstead, New York, Brian says, he's really worried about young voters not turning out anymore for Democrats. Wow. Okay. Let's take the... Second one first. But I, 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 I don't know how accurate exit polls are, but you and I talked during the day, and you saw that figure, and the youth turnout of under 30 in 2020 was 20%, and the early headline report probably hadn't changed much was 10, right? Yep. So we're not... The, the, the That's idea, Virginia. That's the Virginia, election. Virginia, but I, I'm sure that is... Throughout, I, I guarantee you that in when the youth turn out in Seattle or Minneapolis or anything else wasn't that high. I, I understand why young voters, to some extent, why they're disillusioned. But 
the only way that you can effectuate real change in America is by winning elections. I can't change that. That's just the way the country is set up. It would, can Beto win? Yeah, you know what Glenn Youngkin said about it, the dumbest thing you could say on abortion. I mean, we called him Cole. And all Beto right. needs to say is, I, I, is, you know what, I wanted to run for president in the worst possible way, and I accomplished that. <laughs> and just say all right, that, that 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 was that was, you know I, that that was me. I was trying to be a pandering politician, which I found out was really stupid and doesn't work. And I, you know, and said, "Do you really think this is the best Texas can do?" You know, and then just yeah. pivot and get out. People have made you know horrific mistakes in American politics and have survived them. Very little is, is fatal. If you just are kind of smart and you know how to pivot. And, and up front, front and honest, honest about it. Yeah, no. okay. Yeah, I, I, no, I, I fucked agree. up. What do you want me to James, do? I, James, you know, these questions all come in. We don't see them until they all come right. in. I'm worried that you may have planted okay. this question, though. I, I mean, I really am. I'm, I'm, I'm going right. to read it to you, and I'm going to give right. you the context. This is Art all in right. Chicago. Right. He says, I write a biweekly newsletter widely read by Democrats in Illinois and a few others called the NKC Occasional Update. NKC is my wife's firm, Nancy Cohn Consulting. She's been Senator Durbin's lead fundraiser for over 25 years, done a lot of work. All right, that's good. But here's the question. I heard in the gutter this weekend that one hasn't lived until one has seen Al Hunt and Judy Woodruff on the dance floor. Care to confirm or deny? The context, Art, and I want to know who your source is. I rarely ask sources. The context, I went to the wedding of the century last weekend with my wife. It was the, it was the Madeline Mary Carville and Sam Joel wedding, and you have never seen a prouder papa. It was the wedding of the century, and I do admit, Art, and I do want to know where you got this from because... Because it's right, I wasn't a dance floor. My wife and Maury North kind of forced me out there. It was not something that you want to watch. It was a little bit ugly. So I, I, <laughs> but it was a fabulous way. I, I didn't rig this, but I bet you Art lives on the north side, probably the near north side. But, you know, uh, and I just bet you he's a friend of Sam Joel, my, my son-in-law. And I think, <laughs> I think that's how Art got the intel. But you're right. Oh. It was a blast, and it was just uh, it was I I, I loved the how everybody was having fun, and all of the you know north side of Chicago met South Louisiana, and it, it was just wonderful. Republicans and oh, Democrats, yeah, well, I, and I, I Republicans young. there. There yeah. was, and a lot of young people lot, there. Yeah. God, I was envious, you know, starting with your daughters. Yeah, it, uh, but it was it was the way. Miss Landra officiated, and, uh, and I I, 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 I oh. if, if, if he's not a 9.999 out of 10. I don't, I don't know what the world is. I mean, why is this guy? The talent that he has is staggering. And, and people are, you know, musing about tape, taking Abraham Lincoln's name down when he was actually taking Robert E. Lee and Justin Davis okay, right. down. So The only thing that measured up to, to Miss Landrieu was Matty oh, and Sam. <laughs> I mean... Uh, everything, everything. <laughs> it was an art. I'm coming after you. <laughs> All right, listen. Though this is the best week we've ever had, and we've had great weeks on letters. Uh, I'm sorry for any we didn't get to, but please keep Thank them coming. Challenge us, uh, and uh, uh, you know, uh, Art. I want you to take a rest for right. a week or two. Al, it's all right. We, we just we treasure these letters, you know, because that, that's why oh. we do the show. I mean, just such. And and all of them, uh, 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 you know, Dan does a good job of picking them, but they're all insightful, and you know, most of them are 
can be pretty tough, and that's good. Oh, it, it, no, it really is. It's, it's terrific. When you're going all out on your goals at the end of the year, it can be hard to keep up with your reading. But if you're like us, you want to learn as much as you possibly can. That's why we recommend Blinkist. Blinkist takes top nonfiction books and gives you the key takeaways in text and audio explainers called Blinks that you can digest in just 15 minutes. You can use Blinks to tackle procrastination, get started on developing an idea or business, take your projects to the next level, or dive into politics with titles like The Future of Capitalism by Paul Collier and Letters from a Stoic by the philosopher Seneca. They blink thousands of titles in 27 categories. And if you like podcasts, and we know you all do, they blink those too with Shortcast. And it's all in one app, right in your pocket, so you can learn anytime, anywhere with Blinkist. James, man, you are a devotee. Right, Deb, I got to read the thing about Seneca because I couldn't digest that. There's a lot of stuff that, you know, most people, even, you know, that, that some of this literature takes it, it takes a lot of effort, and a lot of people don't have time. And I, again, I would like to know who they get to do this, all right, because it's so damn good. It's so on point. I mean, do they have an algorithm or do they, they hire like college professors? Maybe it's a trade secret and they don't want to tell us. But I, but uh, every time I read it, I'm like, God damn, who thought of this? There's got to be some human well, how capital somebody involved get, in it. It's got, I, I don't know, but they, yeah. they got some, some awfully smart people on their payroll and they got some awfully smart algorithm or something to figure it out. But I mean, sure it's do. stunningly good. I, and maybe one day they'll tell me how to do this because I'm curious. Well, right now, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. You go to Blinkist.com slash War Room to start your free seven-day trial and get 25% off a Blinkist premium membership. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. Blinkist.com slash War Room. You get 25% off and a seven-day free trial. Blinkist.com slash War Room or look for the link in our show notes. Hey, James, there's so many outrages. Where do we start? Arizona Congressman Paul Gosar photoshopped a video of him showing how he could kill Democratic Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Now, we know that Gosar is a wacko, unfit for office. His own siblings say he's unstable and should be removed. But the outrage, no respect to him, is Kevin McCarthy and the House Republican leadership not immediately censoring him, stripping him of all committee assignments. Instead, these crazy Republican Conservatives want to punish those 13 GOP members who voted for a good infrastructure bill. That says it all about McCarthy's values. Voting to fix crumbling roads and bridges and broadband is a far worse sin than a threat to kill another House member. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know what to say about that. It, and I have no idea why he's still in the Congress and not expelled from the House of Representatives. I mean, I, 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 I can't imagine it. In, in no way, shape, or form can cannot top, top that outrage. It, it, it's beyond outrageous. And the thing about Paul Gosar is that's not, he's not a minor part of their caucus. And, and you know, if, if somebody in the Democratic caucus does something like that, I remember Congressman Omar said something that was probably not the most elegant way to describe uh, Jewish people. And Speaker Pelosi called to him the next day 
and corrected that. All right. And we go back to our question that says, why did they get away with this oh, shit? Yeah. I have no idea. But the, the smallest thing that we do gets exploded into the biggest thing. And I, I, I want our listeners and people who write in to try to help us understand this because I'm as frustrated by it as you are. Yeah. All right. If 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 somebody, God forbid, no one should ever do this, but they did a similar thing against some Fox News personality, you could imagine the outrage. Why? Why not? Why? Why is this not on the front page of everything? Yeah. All right. I have no idea. But that there is a is a horrible imbalance here between the way that that our what I think are kind of politically naive. Uh, maybe overly ambitious statements that 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 I, I I disagree with, but you know, saying defund the police is not like fantasizing about killing people. Yeah, yeah. All no. right. I mean, it's just not the same thing. I'm sorry. It's, it, it, I, I don't think it's smart. I think it's politically nonproductive. But it, it, you're not a bad person. I mean, you don't want to kill anybody. And I, I, I don't know the answer to this. I struggle with it. I, I, we got a lot of smart people. Somebody help me. Won't yeah. you help me, please? We welcome all suggestions. We do. Hey, thanks for listening to Politics War Room with James Carville, and I'm Al Hunt. Don't forget to send your questions for us by email to politicswarroom at gmail.com or tweet them for next week's show at Politicon. Following this episode, we'd appreciate it if you'd check out the links to our sponsors, Lost Debate and Blinkist, in the show notes. We deeply thank you for supporting them, and when you do, it helps make this podcast happen. So to keep up with us, subscribe to Politics War Room on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Please rate the show with a five-star review. We'll be back next week with another show as we continue our war room planning.